All right, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the uh, Unboxing Judaism podcast. Rabbi Nagel, how are you? I'm doing great. It's so great seeing you. And welcome back from your beautiful trip to Israel. I'm sure you had it, an awesome time. It was amazing. Israel, there's no place like it. It's Orko Lurochba. It is the most incredible to its length, to its width. The beauty, the, the uh, blessing of the land is just magnificent, which leads me into the question for today's podcast which is, why are there so many anti-Zionist Jews? I mean, the first one to tackle is Naturi Karta or Satmer, but there are modern-day anti-Zionists that don't make any sense. I spent an incredible time with uh, Kakal, Karen Kayemet Israel with uh, JNF, and saw the land, and saw the people, and saw the fruit of the land, and saw the they're just the magnificence of Eretz Yisrael, of our promised land. It's fascinating land. how the few square miles that it actually is has such a believable diversity. The lowest place on earth is right there. and The highest place on earth is right there. <laughs> right. And you have every terrain, every terrain possible you can imagine. Basic. You have desert, you have forest, you have tropical, you have the wine. Israeli wine is just unbelievable. The, we were there, it was just there two weeks ago. And there were great rains in November and December since uh, Sukkot. You see the, the the lush, the green pasture. It is amazing. The beauty of the land is just it's just magnificent. It's the only word I have. It's it's just it's amazing. So how is it that there are so many Jews who don't believe in our land, being our land? What are your thoughts, Rabbi? It's, uh, you know, it reminds me of, uh, something that Rabbi Wine, my, uh, high school Rosh Hashiva during my years in high school used to say, he said, you need to learn, never confuse Jews and Judaism because Jews think something or do something. That doesn't mean that's what Judaism says. So we're not here to tell you. Why, you know, why is it that Jews choose the wrong thing or do the wrong thing in their life? There is, of course, free choice. But our hope is, is that we can at least educate what Judaism has to say about the land of Israel and what does it mean from a Jewish perspective. And that itself is like, you know, hopefully it will do our part in educating because I think that's part of what they're missing. They're missing their connection to the land from a God point of view. And, um, and that's really, you know, and that's really, it's, it's, it's a shame because the Jews are attached to the land as that, that attachment, when you cut that off, you're cutting part of yourself off. And that's what's so sad. So to me, you know, I spent a lot of time with a lot of like deep rooted Zionists. I heard the, the name Herzl multiple times. When I got back, I decided to do uh, a little bit more research on Herzl. And it clarified to me why particularly Satmer have, and others, and others have, have opposition to Zionism. And I believe that deep inside every single Jew, they're anti-Zionists for the same reason as Satmer is. And the reason is like this. If you look at Herzl, Herzl was a secular man. He was not religious. He was anti-religious, to say the least. He didn't allow his children to have a bris. 
He didn't allow them to marry Jewish women. He did. He he sadly uh, wanted to celebrate uh, Christmas more than he wanted to celebrate any Jewish holiday. He had a Christmas tree in his house, and he didn't want a Jewish state. He didn't want a state for the Jewish people to be able to observe Torah like they do today in the land of Israel. He wanted a state which was culturally Jewish, but not one which was religiously, observantly uh, committed to Judaism and, and, and to the Torah. And that, I believe, is the reason why Satmar and those of the, of the like were against at the time when the establishment of the state of Israel came with the big notion of Zionism, Zionism, Zionism. They were against that because that was against Judaism and its values. And, and you had people who came in, in, the, in the first Aliyah, who came from all of the uh, Morocco, and you had people who came from Iraq and, and, and Iran and from Yemen and from Yemen and Turkey and were all of these other countries. And they were introduced to pork and they were introduced to, to a lifestyle that was not a Torah lifestyle. And that was what they wanted out of Zionism. They, 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 when, the, when the Yemenite Jews came to Israel, they showed them a picture of Herzl, and they said, this is our Messiah. This is our Moses of our generation. And they said, what do you mean? He's not wearing a yarmulke. Like, no, the modern-day Moses. And what happened to these, the Yemenites? One after another were put into secular kibbutzim, and their their Judaism. They were torn away from their families. They were torn away from their families. They were torn away from their Judaism for two thousand years. The Yemenite Jews were committed to Torah under most dire circumstances, and here they come to the free land, to the Jewish land, and that Judaism was ripped away from them. That kind of Zionism, I believe, every single Jew ought to be against. But then there's another Zionism. I was born in Israel. I'm very proud to be an Israeli. I am very proud to have siblings who live there. I lived there for many years. I support Israel. I give money to Israel. I daven for Israel. That's the real Zionism, I believe, that we all are. I think there's another real point over here that when, when, when you talk about being culturally Jewish in the land of Israel, and you divorce from it any religious implications of that, you know, any meaning from a religious standpoint, that leads one to where it ends up, which is where they start feeling like, wait a second, but what right do we have to be here? Well, you know, maybe we're kicking people out for no reason. Maybe we should have been in Uganda. All of those thoughts start creeping up when you disconnect, you, you cut away the religious component of the connection to the land of Israel. And they're seeing that more and more today where modern Israelis, secular Israelis, are saying, what do we have with this land? Like, why do we need to even be here? There's no purpose for it. And the more observant Jews who are following the Torah Say, what do you mean? This is our land. And just, just to, to, pre- we should have made this as a preface. What connection do we have with that land? We have from the first verse in the Torah, throughout the entire Torah, I'm talking about the written Torah. I'm not talking about 
all of the prophets and the writings. Just in the written Torah, there are probably a hundred or more times where God says, this is your land for you and for your descendants. This is your land. Take a look, and God promises it to Abraham, and he promises it to Isaac, and he promises it to Jacob, and he promises it to Yosef, and, and to the tribes. And further on and on, God tells Moses, well, you will lead the Jewish people to the promised land, to your land, to the land of the Jewish people. And it's referred to as the land of milk and honey. And it's like that we have endless, endless reference in the Torah, direct, black-letter law, promising that this land is the land of the Jewish people. So it's in the Torah. It's not like it's like, you know, uh, you know, hidden away in hidden, some exactly. esoteric text like, that before 1948, there was never a people called the Palestinians. Never. You had the Jordanians, you had the Egyptians, you had the, the, the Lebanese and you had the Syrians. They were always the neighbors of the land of Israel. Suddenly we have all of this, this new, I would say fabrication of a nation almost. Now we could, we live in peace with many of our neighbors in Israel and hopefully we'll find a way to have peace. But to me, one of the more troubling things of this whole anti-Zionist movement is the modern day anti-Zionist known as J Street. You have an organization that on their website outright calls Israel an occupying state. An occupying state, the audacity. Have they never looked in the Torah? Have they never seen the words written in Genesis, in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy? To me, that that I don't get. I don't understand it. That we're occupiers in our own land? It's a sad, it's unfortunately such a sad truth that that the Jews can be their own worst enemy. And it's these specifically these misguided people that are, they bend over backwards to try and please an imaginary person who they imagine if only we would um, show uh, that, that really we don't belong there. If only we would basically... Uh, uh, disappear from Israel, then we'd get along with our, with, 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 with our Gentile neighbors, and then they'll like us. And basically, it's sort of like what the Jews in Israel realize is that the only way that, uh, that may be is that, you know, some of the enemies of the Jewish people, it's like, if we're not wiped away into the sea, then they're still not happy. So it's, it's time to stop trying to please and appease, it's time to recognize who we are and what our connection is to the land of Israel. I think that's the most important thing. I think there are a couple of components as well that, you know, first is we have to be proud to be a Jewish people. And when we're not proud to be a Jewish people, we, we, we're squandering the opportunities. You know, the land is given as in Eretz Kedosha, a holy land. It's a holy land that it says that when we're holy, and dignified in our land, the land will flourish. And when we're not, the land will spit us out. And, you know, part of the, the, the struggle of the Jewish people has always been maintaining that level of holiness, maintaining that status that affords us the joy and the, the plenty 
the bounty of the land. And we see that, you know, the great philosophers, you know, they, they went to Israel and they saw the, 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 the wasteland. It looked like nothing. There was nothing growing. You go to Israel today, which by the way is you go now to Israel and you'll see Torah study in every corner of the land. You walk the streets of Tel Aviv, you have synagogues which have robust Torah classes. You go, I was in Sderot, two miles away from, not even two, but two kilometers away from the Gaza Strip. You have yeshivas which are robust with Torah study. You have synagogues in every street corner. You have a kibbutzim even. I was in a couple of kibbutzim where they have Torah classes going on there on a regular basis. You have all these moshavim, all of these settlements all around the place filled with Torah. You can hear the words of Torah reverberating throughout the communities. This is the, this is the land. This is the land that we need to be proud of. This is the land that we need to build up. This is the land that we need to support and that we need to be proud of, not to run away from. Not to acquiesce and to and to and to squander, capitulate, and to, capitulate to to social pressures and to international pressures and since when, culture. When, at what point in Jewish history? What point? What time in world history has the world been with the Jews? Never. It's never happened in the history of the world. So who are we trying to appease? It's always the the real truth is is that it's a we need to. F- we need to come to our own realization that there is no connection to the land of Israel without a religious connection. And that's the first step. First step is that that connection is God-given. It's connection to God. It's our connection to God. And this is the land that he promised us. By thinking it in that way, so then our connection is that much greater. I want to share with you an interesting um just I was also not that long ago in Israel. I went there with my son. We went to study for um, like some time, and like we had two weeks. For like two weeks. It was amazing. It was a great, great trip. And once while we were there, we we took some time to explore the south. It's uh, it was the winter, so we figured we'd go to the warmer areas. On the way, we had to stop at a gas station, and we see a soldier. And it was in the late afternoon, and he was davening mincha. So we davened mincha together with the, the three of us. And it just hit me as like, only in Israel. Just, you know, that the, the Jewish identity is where you could find in a random gas station, Jews praying to God. It's an amazing thing. You know, like, and I just, I you know, felt, I felt so at home. And that's really what you need to, um, I recommend to anybody listening to take a trip and see what, like you said, even in Tel Aviv, which everyone says, oh, it's a secular city. It's, it's, it's also, but there's a very Jewish identity there. And there's a lot of Torah. There's a lot. There's shuls are filled. There's learning going on. There's, uh, there's, there's a lot of opportunity. yeah, we live in a world where, unfortunately, for people who make excuses, there's no excuses. <laughs> I was when I went to the Western Wall to the hotel, and it was a regular. I think it was a a Tuesday afternoon. You couldn't get in. The security lines were so long, 
I mean, there are people coming from all over the world to be in their own home, in their Jewish homeland. And aside for a tremendous amount of tourists, probably the most tourists I've ever seen, I mean, the entire Kotel Plaza was packed with people. But it's not only there. You go to the Shuk. You go to the marketplace. You go walk down the streets of Jerusalem. It is hustling and bustling. It is so rich with the most incredible tapestry of humanity. You have the most incredible human beings walking the streets of, of, of Jerusalem, walking the streets of you know the entire country. It's such an incredibly blessed, blessed, blessed place. And for it, to me, it just like it's unconscionable that a Jew would refer to his own land as being occupiers, that a Jew would refer to his own homeland as being something which is anything short of remarkable. Another thing, another thing, you know, it's kind of like it's so disingenuous because everyone here in America. They, they live here, they're happy, they're part of their country. Do they say about themselves, oh, we are occupiers. After all, the Native Americans were here. Nobody says that. Only, only by the Jewish homeland where it's like, oh, there. What kind of business? What kind of business? So I'll tell so, you, there, there's, there's a little bit of a strike against some, some people because there was a movement that was established in the early 1800s, without mentioning names, because, you know, we don't believe in movements. But their official platform in Germany, when it was designed, declared that Israel is no longer our country and Jerusalem is no longer our capital. But rather, Germany is our country and Berlin is our capital. And, again, without mentioning names of movements, but that's a desecration of Judaism. That's and, a total desecration. And you see the result of the that. the Almighty himself says, this is your land. This is your land. I'm going to give it to you. Why would we forfeit it? Why would we go against ourselves? To me, the saddest part of that whole story is, is that there were no German citizens as loyal to Germany as the Jewish German citizens. They were so loyal and so connected and they disconnected themselves to, to Jerusalem and Israel to be accepted. And look where it happened. Look what happened from that. It's so sad, but it's time that the Jews give up trying to be anybody but who they are. Yeah. So I don't think, I don't think there's a lot more to say about this other than a, a you know, this is the land that the Almighty looks at. This is the land that the Almighty loves, the most beautiful place on, on earth. It, it says, the, the Midrash says, that Ein, it's the Gemara. The Gemara says, Ein yofi ki Yerushalayim. There's no beauty like the beauty of Yerushalayim. And even the modern Jerusalem, I mean, the roads, <laughs> the, the roads, the tunnels, the bridges are just magnificent. They're so beautiful. My urge to every one of our listeners, to every one of our viewers out there, go to your land, go to your homeland, enjoy your homeland. Don't just visit, love it. See the beauty in every single stone that you see there, that you pass. And the people, 
the people are just remarkable. They're so loving. They're so happy. They're so gracious. They're so kind. So alive. That's so alive. Word. So alive. That's what I. That's the word comes to mind. Yeah. Nope. Any closing remarks, Rabbi? I, you know, it's interesting how we how we look at you know the the verse tells us how the difference, the contrast between Egypt and Israel, and the verse describes how in Egypt they don't need the rains. There's the they have a river that flows through the Nile River. It rises and it waters the crops. And when it comes to Israel, we always are looking up to God and seeing if it's going to rain. We're always so tenuous in our uh, reliance of, well, will it rain? Will there be a drought? And people might think that that's like, oh, that's, that's so rough. That's so, but no, that means that it's a land where God wants us to look up towards him. He wants that relationship. And that's really what the land is so suited for to develop a relationship with God, one-on-one relationship. That's what it's all about. Anyway, amazing. So Hashem should bless us all that we should have that relationship with Him. Use the land of, uh, of, of Eretz Yisrael, the land of the Jewish people. Use it to connect to the Almighty. Use it to elevate ourselves. And we're all Zionists. We're proud Zionists. And we wear it as a banner of honor and never going to shy away from it. Hashem should bless us all with safety and security in our land. Amen.